welcome to Judge Cast. This is episode number 95, and with me, as always, my two co-hosts who never cheat. First off, we have Just Dunks. Never cheat. Not once. Not once. Not even once. Never happen. Cheaters never win, and winners never cheat. Oh, man, I wish. <laughs> also, we have Brian Perlman. Uh My favorite uh, Blizzard is the uh, Cookies and Cream one, the Oreos one. Have you had the That's... S'more one that just came out? I have not. I really should probably, good. I should probably go are, to Dairy are you, Queen. Are you talking about cheating on a diet now? Oh, Dairy Queen. Oh. I didn't uh, even get, I could not I figure out it. why you were talking get about it. it. DQ disqualification. Okay. So we have two lovely guests here wondering why they agreed to be on the show with us uh, from from the investigation I think committee. That's exactly what we're wondering. <laughs> <laughs> investigation committee and parts unknown. We have Eric Shukan and Guillaume Guillaume. Bizzalan. 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 I'm sorry. Who who is uh, uh, also I believe our first uh, international guest? Uh, Guillaume is the regional coordinator from France. Yeah. So so it's like what time is it over there in France right now? Uh, three a.m. Ah, oh, so late. You're <laughs> up so late. Keep that lie going. Yeah. So we'd like to hear a little bit about each of you. Um, let's start with Eric Shukan. Um, just tell us a little bit like where you're from, how long you've been a judge, those kinds of things. Uh, well, first of all, my last name is pronounced Shukan. Oh, and not, not like sh- CJ yeah, mispronouncing stuff. <laughs> what? <laughs> that is a theme. So like Shukan Sam. Yeah, that's exactly it. As a matter of fact, uh, in my youth, my nickname, uh, even, even into my adulthood is the Toucan in the variety of circles that I'm known as I'm known as the Toucan. That's, Toucan, Toucan. that's a nice, yeah. that's a nice name. <laughs> Uh, I've been a judge since uh, just about 2001, uh, starting in a little shop in uh, Massachusetts, right down the street, way back when. I worked for Rob Doherty. He was one of the, the uh, you know, pretty famous Hall of Famer. He had a store, and uh, from there, uh, became a judge uh, right away, pretty much, and got my level three, I think, in 2006 or 2005, I can't remember. And I don't know, I've been busy, busy and busier in the program ever since. Guillaume, how about you? So, um, yes, uh, I am Guillaume, so uh, French regional coordinator, level three for three or four years now. Uh, one of my best friends is Kevin Desprez. He was in charge of the IC uh, before Eric, so it's how I discover the committee. And uh, I am a, a rookie there because uh, I've been at it uh, two months ago. Yeah, two yeah. months. So I am pretty interesting by this conversation uh, <laughs> as you to understand uh, how that works. Well, if you have any questions throughout, uh, feel free to ask them as well. Yeah, sure. Uh, so if you haven't picked up on it, this show is going to be about uh, the disqualification process and with a focus on the uh, the investigation committee, which handles deciding whether or not to suspend a player, uh, things like that. I'm sure we'll get more into, into the actual duties yeah. of the committee a, a little bit later. Is basically what hap- what happens after after the head judge says uh, I'm going to disqualify you for reason X. What what happens then uh, after that point in time? Uh, I'll run through the process with you a little bit. Um, also, I'll I'll give you sort of a preview uh, where the committee is in the process of creating a document where the players can read exactly that. Uh, such that when someone gets disqualified, we're going to give them a piece of paper that's it's like an FAQ, which says now that you've been disqualified, here's what you can expect and what you should do. 
And we're also working on one for the judges, which is now that you've decided to disqualify someone, what do you, what do I do? Uh, so those documents should be one of them is already done and uh, looking and awaiting editing. And the other one, the judge document will be another month or so. But we'll have those out, you know, within two or three months at the most. Um, but here's the general process. Uh, after the judge makes the call to disqualify the player, uh, the judge a and explains the exact infraction and, and specifically the behavior that, that he believes the player accomplished in order to, to create that infraction. Uh, the player should sit down and, uh, and write a statement. Uh, that statement should just be about the incident and about how, you know, how things played out from the player's point of view. Uh, who said what, uh, what the board state was, if, if it involves a board state. Basically, it's the player's chance to describe in their words what they think happened and how it played out. And, you know, we hope they tell the truth. Uh, we think a lot of times that they do, but uh, sometimes they might not. Um, the judge would collect that statement, uh, write his own statement, which goes into the judge center. That's, that's how the committee sees it. And there's, a, there's an entry logged into the judge center. Uh, the judge would enter his own statement, all the witness statements, and the player's statement, and then uh, it awaits review by the committee. Uh, I can go into that process, too, okay. if so, you like. So the, the head judge also, you said, witnesses. So the head judge is also to collect statements from any relevant witnesses as well? Yeah, I like to look at it this way. If if the if the head judge is using in, in his mind if the head judge is using anything that a third party said in and the head judge uses that to make the actual dq call then that's important and i would like to actually hear what that person said you know like i want to see the statement from that person rather than just have the head judge say well, this guy told me this. It would be nice if we could get it in that guy's own words. Witnesses that, can be important. That includes other judges as well, right? So if I'm okay. the head judge and my floor judge comes to me and says, I saw this guy do X, I want his statement as well. Yeah, I would say the floor judge is by far the most important, but it could also be other players, the opponent. I, w I wish some of our uh, head judges would, would get more opponent's statements because the opponents might have uh, an impression about the incident and about how it played out. Sometimes the opponents can uh, say things that would clear the, the disqualified player, um, or at least in our minds, you know, so that we wouldn't take action against him. So it could be anybody, really. But yeah, the floor judge is probably the number one most common that we see. Okay. So what sort of information do you want from... Uh, like you, you said, describe the board states and stuff like that, but is there any other information like name, address, contact yeah, there's information? The, there's some administrative things. I mean, in general, you want to write the, the player should have their name and their DCI number, although the, the judge, can, the head judge can fill that out on the paper. Um, the email address is big. Uh, always remind the player to uh, write their email address um, or their phone number. I, I'd be happy to call them too, at least if they're in the United States. Uh, but they should also update their contact information on the, the, the wizard's website because that email that we get on file for them may be the one that we use to contact them or send letters of, of the resolutions. So that's the administrative part. Yeah. Now, what if you have a player that is obviously upset from a DQ and they don't want to provide a statement? Uh what they have is... a couple of options. Okay. Um, sometimes players are uncomfortable giving a written statement to the head judge because uh, maybe they think the head judge will doctor the statement or 
or uh, read the statement before filling out their own, uh, which which we don't like. I, I frequently put out monthly tips on uh, um, in uh, in Magic Judges uh, forums. One of them is please don't don't say anything about the player's statement when you write your own statement as the head judge. Uh, but if the player's uncomfortable for any reason, uh, the head judge is welcome to. Um, have them email it directly to Wizards Customer Service on the website. It'll it'll find its way to me. Uh, they can email it directly to me. I don't really, uh, you know, my email is not particularly private. You can find it in a variety of places. Uh, it'll it'll also be available on the uh, that FAQ that we put out. So once we get that out, it'll actually say if you don't want to write the statement now, you don't have to. You can send it in later. They can also email it at a later time to the head judge. So there's a lot of options. We want the player to feel comfortable and tell us their story. We don't want them to be silent because they're afraid. That's that's the that's the real bad thing because they can they can help themselves sometimes. It's maybe it's worth mentioning that a disqualification does not equal suspension. Yes, we have we have the committee uh, that looks into basically the player's intent and level of preparation. So if the player did something wrong, like uh, offer two packs at an F and M for the win, you know, like, Hey, I'll concede for two packs. Mm -hmm. And they probably didn't know that was wrong. I mean, not many people for two packs are going to go to that great length to, you know, if they know it's wrong, they're probably not going to do that for two packs, but uh, that's what we call ignorant where they did commit an infraction and uh, there are corporate wizards reasons why we enforce certain of those types of infractions, even if the player is not aware that that they're breaking the rule. And they'll never be suspended for something like that. They just, you know, that we call that ignorant. The second example is uh, we call opportunistic. That's where the player knows it's illegal and they they might not realize how bad it is, but they definitely know they're not supposed to do it, but they choose to do it anyway. Um, but it's not planned out. So they know they're breaking a rule, but they didn't plan it out. I'll give you an example. The classic one is I uh, you attack with a, with a Bushido character, so he gets plus one, plus one, and uh, you mention the trigger, so your guy is a 2-2. Two, two, now he's a 3-3, three, three, and I forget that he's a 3-3. Three, three. So I shock him. You know, let's say I shock him for two, uh, and... Uh, uh, you 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 put him in the graveyard. He's not supposed to die, but he, he does die. And let's say I, I remember afterward that your guy had Bushido and was a 3-3, but then I don't say anything. I know he should be alive, but I choose not to say anything. And I know that's wrong. So, but I didn't plan it out. Like I didn't, I didn't do this on purpose and try to deceive anyone. It just sort of happened. You put your own guy in and I took advantage of, of a mistake you made. So that would be opportunistic. We do sometimes give suspensions for those, uh, but they have to. There's there's only a certain few categories of suspendable opportunistic things. A lot of them we give warning letters. The last category is premeditated. This is where someone thinks about it uh, before the event, usually, and plans it out. For example, uh, anytime you add cards, like if you bring cards from home and add them to your draft or your sealed pool, you had to think about that before the event. That's not something you just reach in your pocket and say, oh, look, I got this card. Um, and, and you know, you there's levels of how well you can plan it out. I mean, you could make up your own deck list for a PTQ and substitute in the deck list that you get. Uh, that must have taken you an hour to fill that out at home and then put together a deck. Uh, that's really, really bad. Or a very practiced shuffle cheat or something like oh, that. Yeah. 
yeah, all kinds of manipulations where where it shows levels of practice, right? Yeah. Uh, basically, if you attempt to deceive in an active way where you set the situation up and you look for cheats by creating your own situations to cheat, that's premeditated. That's like roughly speaking the idea. And those are almost always suspendable and usually pretty nasty. So that's pretty much how it works. I mean, that that's the levels. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Um, so let's say you discover someone cheated like a week later, you know, say it was on tape or something at your local store. You just didn't, you weren't able to learn until later. Can you still disqualify the person after the event? Yes. And you should uh, just go through all. The head judge can always make that call. Mm-hmm. Um, remember that, you know, if the evidence isn't that strong, he can always make the call for the DQ, but the committee may not choose to pursue the matter if a lot of time has gone by, but. We do collect video evidence uh, against certain people who play in high-profile events repeatedly. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's been a case in the last uh, three or four years where uh, a player has been suspended for uh, uh, an accumulation of deception and perhaps manipulation caught on camera, and there was no judge ever involved right. in that. But uh, you know, we had we had good information on that. So yeah, but if a head judge finds out something later, bribery cases are often found out the day after if they see it on Facebook or something like that. Uh, if the head judge believes that something happened and has the evidence to back it up, I would encourage them to fill out a report. There's nothing you can do about uploading the event. If that's already been uploaded. Uh, but fill out a report on Judge Center and uh, we'll take a look at it. Should, should you try to get a statement from them? Uh, yeah, I mean, the head judge should should try to contact the player, but, you know, the player may have driven back home. Right, right. If, and, and so I'll take care of that if, if necessary. You know, I can get the player's name from the database maybe or contact their uh, RC or a store near them. I mean, it takes me a little legwork, but that's what I do. That's my job, basically. Okay. So I'm ready to move on into talking about the committee itself. Does anyone have any questions about the actual disqualification process, the... The part that's well, done at an event. Yeah, actually, actually, I do. Just for the for the people listening at home, um, when the when and since we're since our audience is judges uh, who are going to be filling this stuff out, what sort of information do you want the head judges to provide you to make your job easier? Like, what's something that they maybe something that they leave out that you wish they include? Something that they include that you're like, eh, I don't, I don't need this type of setup uh if it's a if it's a board state uh, kind of cheat that's important so for example uh, a lot of times when someone shuffles a card to the top of their deck uh they don't do it necessarily at the beginning of the game they do it as they become more desperate so if it's a card they need right at that particular moment it would help to know a little bit about the board state rather than just say I saw him shuffle this particular card to the top. Now, if you describe the board state and that card actually really, really helps, you know, that's that's a piece of evidence that that's important. It's not just a random card. It's the one card that he needed to get based on the board state. So a quick description of that. Um, I would definitely say that the head judge should include uh, things like, does the story change? That happens a lot. Does a player's story change? As parts of it unravel during questioning, they then switch to a different uh, a different explanation. 
And uh, one thing I would always ask the judges to do is is uh, check with opponents when, or, or witnesses. If the player ever says something like, hey, why didn't, you know, the, the guy, I asked the guy on my left if I could borrow a die and blah, 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 blah. Well, maybe the head judge should go and ask that player if this guy asked to borrow a die because sometimes the players make stuff up in order to look good and it's stuff you could easily check. And if, if the player lies about asking for a die, you know, the rest of his story is not going to be too believable if it's kind of fantastic. So I would ask that the judges include any investigation that they made of whatever the player claims was true. Usually the head judge, if he's going to disqualify the player, he's doing it because he can show that the player's story cannot be true or probably isn't true. And sometimes that takes a little legwork to verify. So that's the kind of verification that we look for. I always ask the judges in emails during the case review, I say things like, when you saw him shuffle the shock, the shock land to the top of the deck, did you look at the top card of the deck to verify that the shock land was there before you disqualified him? You'd be amazed how many times judges say they saw him do it, but they don't check to see if that top card was a shock land. That causes some problems. So just show us the evidence and whatever's going through your mind. That's pretty much it. Hmm. That actually surprises me that uh, that that would the judges would not check that, but I guess it makes sense. Uh, the experienced ones will, but I mean, once in a while, I'm reading some reports and I'm thinking like, wow, he never actually checked to see if that card was there, or he said the guy drew eight cards, but did he did he count the cards in the library to verify there was one missing, or the number of cards in the guy's hand? You'd be amazed sometimes. Uh, that uh, and sometimes they do count it. They just don't say it. They don't actually say it in the report. So, so, you, so you have to ask them later. Did you count this? And they say, yeah. yeah, yeah, of course I counted it. Right, right. So, and I guess the biggest thing would be uh, that I see all the time is uh, please, if the player does not write a statement, please indicate in the head judge report that you offered the player to write the statement and the player declined. Uh, if you don't write that, I will definitely contact you and ask you, did the player write a statement? Did you offer him to write a statement? And did he decline? I mean, that's, I think that happens more than anything else. Probably one out of every three missing player statements, the judge says, oh, I forgot. Hmm. Or yes, he dec he was offered, and yes, he declined. But they don't write anything to tell me. And one one thing that was drilled into my head with with the very first investigation that I'll offer up is, uh, as the head judge, keep the statements uh, for a period of time uh, while the investigation is going on, because if something comes up. Uh, you want to have those records of the original statements written down. Yes. If there's a claim that, you know, because the head judge writes this stuff in the in the system, if the if the player claims that he didn't say so and so and such and such, uh, then you actually have those statements there a month or two after after the incident occurred to refute that. Yeah, basically uh, until the case is adjudicated, which happens uh, in the next month. Um, you know, if you check on Judge Center and it says resolved, then you're pretty much all set. Uh, but until it says resolved, it's probably good to keep all the documentation. We are going to put something in the judge FAQ that we're writing about taking a photograph of this player statement. Uh, Watsi asked us to maybe to think about including that um, just for record keeping so they don't get lost. That makes sense. Yeah, with cell phones nowadays, 
it's really easy to just snap a picture and take care of, you know, right. and then just forget about it just in case. Okay, that's a really good idea. Yeah, that's what I thought. It was a little strange at first, but then, yeah. Seems, and you seems... can also take a picture, just for the record, of any evidence that could be picturable. Oh, yeah. People have shown us marks on sleeves. Uh, people have shown us board states. Um, people have shown us deck lists where uh, numbers have been checked off to show that the handwriting is different. Or I asked to see if there was a stray mark. In one case, the photograph showed, in my opinion, that the player was telling the truth because there was a stray mark that the judge interpreted in a different way. You know, there were several interpretations, but it wasn't clear that that the DQ was was a good one in that particular case. So, yeah, I've seen lots of pictures, forged cards, uh, 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 counterfeit cards, Seen, seen a couple of those. All right. So can we dive into a little bit of IC talk? Sure. All right. So how did you first become a member of the investigation committee? I was getting burned out in tournaments because I was going to, this was about five years ago, I was going to a lot of tournaments and I wanted to contribute without uh, traveling so much because I had been on the road a lot for about two or three years as a judge. And so um, investigations has always been my specialty in terms of uh, evidence and cause and effect. And so I applied uh, when Kevin uh, Dupree was um, the lead, I applied and uh, he gave me a spot on the committee when a spot opened up. So that was my start, I guess, maybe five years ago on the committee. And then Kevin went on to bigger and better things. Uh, You know, program management uh, is kind of weird to say that IC is too small for him. But (laughs) (laughs) yeah, he, he almost laughing here. But yeah, he's got a lot on his plate. And so. Uh, he asked me to take it over, I guess, about maybe two and a half or three years ago. Yeah. So that was it. So, yeah. Guillaume, how did uh, how did you get involved? You're, you said you were a relatively new member. Yeah, uh, basically, I am aware about the IC existence for a while because uh, I talk with Kevin a lot. Uh, and I've been very interested uh, about how, to under, uh, how we under after a disqualification. So a few months ago, I think it was in October, I sent an email to Eric to say, okay, I would like to, to be a part of this committee. And Eric told me, oh, sorry, there is no slot here yet, but uh, next time we open a new slot, uh, I will let you know. And uh, he did uh, middle of April and basically asked me a few questions and add me to the committee uh, right after. So, so the committee is a set size then? The committee has... It's supposed to have 10 members. Uh, When I took over, it had uh, six or seven, I can't remember, but I found that to be insufficient because we have lives to lead, and sometimes you get two of them who have to not look through all the cases. And I didn't like the idea of having only four votes. Um, So I increased the size to 10. Also, I wanted to represent pretty much all over the world. You know, so we have a judge from Japan, we had a judge from China up until recently because he had to leave um, Australia, uh, Europe, or Great Britain, for example. And then uh, in the United States, we have the biggest population of Magic players. So we, we typically run uh, three or four of the ten from the United States. We have a couple from South America. The idea is we want to make sure that we have a good representation to make sure that the cultural backgrounds of the players can can be taken into account and we also need translators i mean i hate to use them in that way but sometimes we have to um 
But, you know, we want to be fair to everybody. We don't just want to have, say, 10 Americans or, or eight Europeans. I mean, there's a lot of people in the world, so we want to represent everybody. And sometimes the judges uh, from Asia or South America and the Latin countries will, will tell us, the, the IC judges will tell us things about how certain statements are perceived. Is this violent or is this just the normal way to talk? Uh, so having the cultural reference is very important. But the number is 10. That's what we shoot for. At the moment, uh, we're running nine, uh, but one person just joined us uh, to replace the uh, Asian judge that just left. Is there a, a public list of everyone in the IC, or do you guys keep that secret, or is it just, it's not secret, but it's just not out there somewhere? Yeah, it's the third one. It's not really a secret. Uh, we're, we don't really go spreading it around. Um, on the other hand, it's it's not a secret. I mean, you know, anyone's allowed to ask you, hey, are you on the committee? Right. Uh, we just don't really want to spread it around. It's not something we want the general public to know specific identities, except for me, because I have to be the point of contact. Sure. Um, so it's like, there's it's there's like no a reason, cop. reason, you know. If, yeah. If I ask you, if I ask you, you're a cop. You have to say you are, right? <laughs> yeah, I don't think it's because of any legal reason. Yeah, but it's the same general idea. There's really just no, there's there's no good reason that anyone need that any of the players need to know specifically who's on the committee. But if they find out, it's it's not that big a deal. I mean, it's you know we we don't it's not a secret. Let's put it that way. Has just just a, and this is a, a real a real weird tangent, but based on the the secrecy thing, has has there ever been any I'll, I'll say threats as a as a result of of a player being disqualified? You know, towards you or one of the members of the IC? Not that I'm aware of. Awesome. Uh, there, oh, uh, Guillaume? No, I know threat about head judge for sure. Oh yeah, threats to the head judge when when he disqualifies people. That's that happens. Yeah, there's a case this month I think about that. But yeah, um, uh, but threats against IC members, I'm not aware of. I don't think so. No one's brought it to my attention. Okay. Threatening the head judge basically guarantees that DQ is was right though because now it's a dq progressive behavior yeah right i was gonna say i i couldn't tell you whether it guarantees you whether the first dq is right right but it guarantees that a dq is coming yeah you know and and possibly a suspension depends on how the threat is i mean sometimes the threats are sort of responsive uh you know like the guy just says you know well oh screw you i'll see you in the parking lot and then he walks out that's not so bad, you know, but sometimes they gets right in the head judge's face and says something like, you know, I'm effing going to kill you or something like that. That's that's probably not so good. Right. So so let's say we have a um, I'll say a random uh, disqualification and it's it goes up and the committee is that like a door prize. A What's that? Is that like a door prize? A random? <laughs> yeah, it's just... keep everyone on their toes. Right. right. So, what, so what we do is we take every yeah. player that pre-registered. We give a random one a pack. And then DQ somebody else. Right. Well, you DQ a player during the player meeting just to show them that you mean business. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> all right. Well, Guillaume's going to GP Worcester in a few weeks. I think I'm going to have him just, all right, let's see. Table 87, 87 uh, sitting facing the exit. Uh, that player is now pre-disqualified. You've heard of pre-registered. We now have pre-disqualified. It's a very VIP <laughs> You're going to get VIP points for this too. Okay. All right. So, so I, what uh, basically is you you have a you have a disqualification. A player was disqualified for I'll say a non for an activity that got them disqualified. When you guys are sitting down 
to adjudicate whether it's going to be a warning letter or a suspension or for how long is there like a certain number of votes you need or yeah. yes so yeah, how does that speaking a number of votes uh let's say you run all 10 in practice we usually get eight out of 10 um so let's say you have eight people voting uh typically they'll be within within one unit of each other for example you might get warning letter the next step might be 6 months the next step 12 months most of the time the judges will be within one step of each other occasionally within two and uh, if there's a clear consensus then we usually go with that so, uh if the score is like say 5 to 4 uh, that's something where I might put it out for more discussion. I might say, look, everybody take a look and I'll try to list the points in favor of the one as opposed to the other and the points in favor of the other. I'll give them a chance to review their choices. But if it's still five to four, that's something where I would probably choose then. I, it's got to be more clear than that. So I'm, I'm not really comfortable with five to four, you know, especially if it's a suspension, you got to really be fair you got to prove it a little bit better than that. It's not like beyond a reasonable doubt like the American legal system, but it's got to be better than five to four, for example. So to clarify there, you, you're voting on, um, like you're not voting. Hob hobby Lobby. No, okay, hold on. Oh. There's another one, Hobby Lobby. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> okay, no health care for you. <laughs> uh, you're not voting whether or not to suspend. Are you saying you're voting on specific, you know, I say this guy should get a warning letter and this guy says he should have a 12-month suspension. Yes. That's interesting. Yeah, it's usually it's usually warning letter 6, 12, 18, 24, etc. There's a caution letter too and there's also no action which can mean that the DQ we think was wrong or it can mean that the DQ was probably technically right but uh, you know, it's not the kind of thing. It's 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 such a low level uh, disqualification that we're not particularly interested in even sending a warning letter. It all stays so on the player's record. What's a caution letter? Yeah, I was about to ask that. I heard of that. Think of it as upgrades. Like the uh, IPG has upgrades from like uh, warning to game loss, right? So it's the same thing. A caution letter. If you get a caution letter, uh, but let's say you had a previous caution letter, and then you might get this upgraded now to warning letter. But if you had a previous warning letter and you got another caution, you'd probably be getting suspended by now. So it's sort of just a simple upgrade system. Um, think of it as steps: no action, caution letter, warning letter, uh, six months, twelve months, eighteen months, etc. That's all it really is. It's not. It's it's not anything fancy. It's just a step system. Okay. Would you, can, uh, I'm actually I'm actually kind of curious. Would you be able to delineate like what what would be a what type of thing would get you a caution versus a warning? Uh, let's and see. I, re I realize that this is, this is getting kind of close to stuff you might not yeah. want. Um, probably something like a caution letter would be where the player, the player did something that he didn't know was wrong, but he has to be disqualified for anyway. And, and it doesn't really ever threaten the event. So things like bribery, simple bribery, like I'll give you a pack if you concede to me at F&M, um, those don't quite qualify because there are reasons at the corporate level that Watsi wants to keep the die rolling and the, and, the, and the perceived bribes out of the game. But let's say, let's say that someone doesn't really do anything wrong and they get nervous when the judge uh, comes to talk with them. 
And so they they now they haven't committed any infraction really up until this point, but they get a little nervous. And so they exaggerate a few things in what they say. And maybe the judge decides to disqualify them for lying. But the things that they lie about are just not really that important. A higher level judge might choose not to disqualify them, even though they really lied. Uh, maybe lower level judges would also. But in any case, if it's not really a threat, it probably doesn't matter. Um, I can give you an example of the case that came up about two years ago at a Star City Games thing I was head judging. A player was a level one judge, and uh, the player decided to draw extra cards in their opening hand on purpose. You might say, well, wait a second, that's pretty serious, and you'd be right, except he told his opponent that he was going to do that. He said, I want to see what happens. So <laughs> watch, I'm drawing extra cards. Let's call the judge and find out what happens. <laughs> so they did. And the judge disqualified him. I mean, you know, he was at the lowest table and he was just having fun. And it was a stupid thing to do. Um, it, it was something where when he said that to the opponent, you know, we're not really interested in busting him with a suspension because it's not going to serve any purpose. We did have a talk with him about what it means to be a judge and, and why you <laughs> don't want to do that. Um, but like that's probably just a caution letter because, yeah, it's a, it's a disqualifiable offense, but it's not the kind of thing that's dangerous because it's just stupid. That's basically it. So that's an example maybe. Okay. That's that's funny because that, that example right there is I, I occasionally get uh, uh, I hear new L2s saying that they want to do something like that. And I'm like to, to test the judge who's uh, who's head judge of the event. And the answer's just always been like, really? No, yeah, why? no. Yeah, there's better ways to test the judge <laughs> than actually play in a sanctioned match and, you know, affect the event to the extent that the judge has to come over and start talking to you now. So, yeah. I mean, another example would be if you have, like, a, say, um, a pre-release and a guy um, and, a, and a guy, say, uh, he builds his deck. A pre-release wouldn't count, I guess, because you're allowed to change your deck around. But let's say you had just a regular event or some relatively low-level event and maybe you're using a deck list. Some guy didn't like his mana base. Um, maybe he didn't even know it was wrong to change your deck. So it's not like he added non-basic lands. He just added an extra mountain to his deck after round one because one of his friends told him, hey, you should play 17 mountains instead of 16. And we take we would take into account your level of experience there. I mean, you know, if a pro player did that and knows exactly it's wrong, that's one thing. But if this is the guy's first tournament or something like that and he, and he adds an extra mountain because he was, you know, he was like, hey, I'm going to play. Yeah, yeah, I mean, like that's the kind of thing where we need some leeway not to bust him mm -hmm. too bad. You know, I mean, getting kicked out of a pre-release in your first event when you're a complete noob, uh, that's pretty scary. So that would be a case where we might give him a caution letter. Now, let me let me ask this, because so there is a relatively recent uh, change to cheating uh, that says you you need to be aware of what you were doing was wrong and trying to gain an advantage. So right. has has the number of those type of situations gone down? I think it's gone down a little. I think some judges are still getting used to that, though, because uh, we're seeing some cases where where I see is not convinced that the player knew that what they were doing is wrong. Um, 
But I do think that the number of cases on average is down a little bit. I mean, it's pretty clear that it is. We usually run around 50 a month worldwide, and now we're running about 40 over the last year or so. It's been about 42. So I'm thinking 42, 43. So maybe it has some effect. But what I do like is that a, a lot of the judges are paying attention to that so that when they write their report, they have to establish the behavior. And then they do actually say, I asked him X, I asked him Y, and it became clear that he did understand that this was probably not a good thing. So, yes. Um, yeah. I mean, some a lot of judges do understand that. And I think that's helped a little. But I would like to note that for things like bribery and uh, improper determining of a winner, uh, you do not have the requirement about they need to know. So they could be ignorant completely and still get disqualified for those two offenses. Okay. So you said you get about uh, 40 to 50 a month. About how long does it take to clear or, or to get an investigation through the process? Well, here's I'll give it I'll run it down really fast for you. Uh, we take all of the cases uh, on the first of every month. So that's today. As a matter of fact, I just posted it today. Uh, this is July. So I took all of the June cases, all of the disqualifications that happened in June that were entered on Judge Center, and I posted them to a spreadsheet. Uh, those will be reviewed, all of them, by IC over the next month. And by July 31st, we'll send our recommendations to WOTC. They make the final determination, so you know it's completely up to them. But they, a lot of time, they mostly take our recommendations, although I, not always. So there's maybe one case every month they tweak something. Uh, but at the end of the month, I send it to Watsi, and um, within about 15 days, they uh, send out the letters and update the web page. So that's basically it. If it happens in month X, it'll be re reviewed in month Y and posted in the middle of month Z. So it's about 45 days is the average. You get disqualified near the end of the month, it's 45 days. If you get disqualified, uh, well, I guess 60 days is the average. You get DQ'd at the end of the month, it's 45 days. You get disqualified at the beginning of a month, you you probably have more like 60 days. So the 15th of every month is when we post the cases uh, online on the web page. So that's pretty much how it works. Um, do you notice a issue or a problem with, uh, I'll say, after, after a player has been disqualified, uh, do you have occurrences where, oh, say he happens to try and get another DCI number? <laughs> Yes. yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Guillaume and I are smiling. Yeah. DCI number fraud in an attempt to play uh, while suspended um, or when you're not qualified for a particular event, like a specific invitational event. Uh, that's uh, that's reasonably common, I would say. I would say we see maybe six or seven cases a year where a player who is suspended tries in some fashion to play. Sometimes they just use their own DCI number and try to sweet-talk the head judge. Uh, sometimes they sign up under a different name, flat-out fraud. Um, in extreme cases, we've had a player with actual identification with a different name. Um, I don't want to go into it more than that, but right. uh, there's there's levels of ways that people can try to play. And okay. uh, that's just going to tack on more and more time. 
And okay. at some point, if okay. they try it a second time, so they, they make a false DCI number, let's say they get suspended for, say, adding four cards to their sealed pool. So they get suspended. While they're suspended, they make up a fraudulent uh, name and sign up under a different DCI number and go to a PTQ 200 miles away where nobody knows them. We find out about it, so we blast them for like 12, 18, 24 more months. If they do that a second time, they're going to be gone for a couple of years probably, and we'll send them a letter saying, look, you've flooded us twice now after the suspension. Uh, this is it. I mean, do it one more time. It's, it's all over. We're just not even going to look at you anymore, and you're going to be out. So that happened once. We did permaban one guy so far for like three attempts at fraud. That happened about a couple of years ago. Okay. Now, let's say I, I get my letter. And I was I've been suspended for a year. Right. Um, and I I don't believe uh, I didn't cheat. I don't right. you know. Um, and so I want to challenge the uh, the results of, of this suspension. Sure. How would I go about doing that? In the suspension letter near the very end, it says, if you would like to make a final appeal, uh, please send uh, any relevant new information. Uh, we ask for new stuff because presumably you had your attempt to make your statement and you told your story already. But um, they can make a final appeal. I think it's Andy Hecht. Uh, I, I, I myself don't really handle the letters. We just sort of handle the decision. Um, and Watsi sends out the letters, but I'm pretty sure the appeals go to Andy pretty much. And then he sends them to me and uh, there's a process I work through. And sometimes I enlist the committee again to take a look at the new stuff. Sometimes it's pretty easy to say yes or say no, uh, but there's a final appeal process. Uh, occasionally players send it directly to me. That's fine. Uh, it all goes to me at some point anyway. And, uh, that's it. It usually takes about 10 days or less to make that final adjudication on the appeal. And it does work. I mean, you know, it doesn't work all the time, but uh, there are some times where the player says some things. And uh, when we go back and ask the head judge specific questions, things look a little shaky. And so we either drop the suspension. Um, once in a while, the player appeals and gets a longer suspension. That has happened actually twice already this year. <laughs> That's very oh. rare. But yeah, yeah. So like if they start lying, if they send in an appeal and they lie in the appeal and then I start challenging what they say with evidence and then they clam up and, and stop talking after lying in the appeal, uh, that's not for them. How often does it happen? I'm just assuming that it does happen occasionally. But how often does it happen that, that you get a disqualification report and you're looking at it and going, I don't understand why this guy was disqualified? Uh, I would say that that happens maybe, um, I don't know, once a month, maybe once every two months. I, I would definitely say once a month. Well, I, let's put it this way. I never say, I never say in my mind sarcastically, I don't know why he was disqualified. Like, it's pretty easy to see why the judge wanted to disqualify him. So I guess what you mean is, could the judge be wrong and believe that the player should be disqualified when in fact the player should not be? And the answer is yes. I'd say one or two cases out of every 45, uh, either the head judge had all the information but interpreted it incorrectly and instead of giving like a game loss or, or a warning, chose to de disqualify the player for some reason. Uh, or sometimes the head judge doesn't have all the information, makes the decision, which appears to be correct, but when we do get new information and I present it to the head judge, I typically contact the head judge. 
sometimes they say, oh, yeah, you know, maybe that disqualification in light of this this thing that you're showing me, maybe that DQ is not so good. So then we just uh, take away the player's suspension. That's all. I mean, you know, we we all make mistakes. The head judges can make mistakes. IC can make mistakes, which is why we have that appeal process. So, yeah, see a lot of stuff. I'd say once once out of every 40, uh, I would say that the judge uh, has not has not uh, correctly disqualified the person. That's that's a, not a terrible ratio, though, considering how many judges do this and it's all volunteer work, mostly. Yeah. Well, plus you have to understand that some of these DQs, especially for lying, you know, they can be pretty tricky. I mean, you can just have this you can you can believe that the player is lying, but you can't prove it beyond any doubt. Um and sometimes you make a hasty DQ decision. You consult with another judge, and then you forget something, and when somebody brings it up later, you're like, oh, crap. Yeah, maybe I wouldn't have disqualified him then if I, if I had known that. That happens sometimes with sleeves. You know, I would urge all the judges out there, if you ever think about disqualifying someone for marked cards, I would like it if you actually had eyes on the player and saw if whether he was manipulating the cards or looking at the cards – because there are factory defects on sleeves and you know there's a perfectly acceptable marked cards with an upgrade to a game loss for the situations where all the marks are on the guy's lands for example and yeah. uh, it's not automatically means he's cheating right. even if yep. he says i don't know how they got there i mean if you don't know how they got there either and you don't have evidence of manipulation you really should not disqualify him for that i'm not saying he's not cheating I'm just saying there's no reason to think he's cheating if all you have is marks on all the lands. But what you do have is a solid mark cards upgrade. That's that's pretty clear. Yeah. There was there was a, a, a situation uh, that I had where a guy had uh, his 60 card deck, and we didn't we saw it when the deck was sorted for a deck check, but all of his non basics were in slightly smaller sleeves. And his sideboard was, too, all in slightly smaller sleeves. Okay. And so, obviously, that set up, set off red flags. Um, but the other thing was the fact that it was exactly 50 cards were in slightly larger sleeves. And right. so, we, you know, when talking to the guy, it was like, you know, what pack of sleeves did you, did you get? And he's like, oh, I got this kind. And it's like, okay, well, that comes in, you know, two halves of 50 and 50. And, you know, talking to him about how he sleeved up his deck, he was like, I, I, I think I did it, you know, all my spells and all my, my this and all my this. And then I did my lands and my sideboards. Right. And it was like, and did you shuffle, did you shuffle the sleeves? And he's like, no, why would I do that? Yeah. <laughs> and, yep. and it was. And it was something it was something that just, you know, when it started out, it looked really bad because we have this clear pattern. He, he's like, no, I don't know how, how this could have done. But just asking a few more questions, it became completely mundane. Yeah, right. Well, and then it could just well be not a completely. Right. It was Mark Card's upgrade. Not completely <laughs> mundane, but not and cheap. And one of the things with those sleeves is that if he said, I just bought the sleeves from so-and-so, this is one of the things where I said at the beginning – you know, if he said he bought it from this vendor, feel free to go and ask that vendor. I mean, if they have a record of him purchasing the sleeves right there at that event, you know, that lends a lot of a lot of credence to his story. If 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 you could just ask that question of the vendor, if they know, I mean, they might not, but they might. So you never can tell. You can never can tell with sleeves. <laughs> sleeves gives us a lot of trouble because uh, a lot of judges tend to overreact 
to markings and they, you know, they they separate out cards. But it's one thing to separate out cards when you're doing a deck check and you have all day to, to eyeball the backs of the cards at your leisure. You know, but try try doing that when you're playing a game of Magic, which is why I say if you don't have eyes on the guy and the guy, you don't know if he's looking at the deck, if you don't have other behavior, it's really hard to take advantage of simple markings on sleeves uh, um, unless you move your body in certain ways. Um, right. I, I won't say it's impossible. You know, there's some experts that probably could, but I guess I would just urge before you DQ someone for marked sleeves – just try to have some backup evidence. I mean, it's got to be something that has to be intentional or followed by manipulation of some sort. Cards can get marked in a ton of ways, and that's what the game loss is for. You know, it's just a, that, that's the player's warning. Like, dude, your sleeves are, you know, problem here, but I can't prove anything. You're still going to get a game loss, though. So that's the whole point. So can you tell us what is the most common disqualification you've seen? Guillaume, what do you think about that? I think it's pretty obvious. Yeah, bribery and bribery, yeah. random match determination. Yep, bribery and random match determination yeah. for news. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> I have the file in front of me uh, when we are speaking, and clearly uh, <laughs> it's maybe 50% of the situation. Yeah, 40, 40% maybe, maybe 50%. If you include bribery and random randomization of the winner, you know, improper winner, uh, that's probably 50%, yeah. Okay. Uh, we like those to the extent that they're usually pretty easy because the person is usually completely ignorant and we just send them like a warning letter or something like that. So, so, so I have, I have some curiosity questions about those two. Okay. Um, okay. What is the most bizarre way of randomly determining a winner? Huh. <laughs> uh, well, uh, I know, Guillaume, you said rock, paper, scissors behind a judge's back or something. Now, tell <laughs> yeah, so, Guillaume, we were just talking about this today. So basically, uh, two months ago, uh, two players were about to roll dice, and the judge stopped them and said, no, you, you cannot do that. Uh, if you do that, I will have to disqualify you. So one of the two guys asked the judge to go away. Sign <laughs> <laughs> number one, that's, that's a problem. <laughs> The judge said, no, and if it's a joke, it's not funny. Don't do that, please. And a player called the judge for something else. So the judge turned, and when he turned back, they were playing uh, rock, paper, scissors. <laughs> so they've been disqualified for that. Uh, yeah. Can't say that. <laughs> they didn't know it was wrong that time, though. Oh, no. We they just told they them. knew that, that was wrong, yeah. Yeah, yeah see, that, that's a case where it's actually not ignorant because the judge just told them. Yeah wrong so that would be like opportunistic but uh they didn't really plan it out like they didn't walk outside and have a secret pact or anything like that or right. discuss it beforehand so uh, but that's not a simple one like that's that's definitely not ignorant the judge told them no don't do that and they did it anyway so that was a little unfortunate <laughs> just the, the idea of look over there and then they immediately start doing the one two three and they get <laughs> You know, scissors, both scissors. Oh, one, two, three, both rocks. Oh, we got to finish this up quick uh, before he turns around. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I think uh, the most interesting bribery case I saw um, was uh, it was kind of vague where uh, the guy just said, uh, well, you know, if you scooped me, I'll take care of you later. 
And so the player, his opponent asked him, well, what do you mean? And he goes, oh, I'm not offering you anything of value in exchange for you dropping. I'm just saying, I'll take care of you later. <laughs> like there's a judge listening to this conversation and just shaking his head because the guy was, he clearly knew the rule. Right. He said, oh no, I'm not offering you anything of value in exchange for you conceding to me. He was very, very strict in his wording uh, while the judge was sitting there at the table uh, watching them. He he knew the judge was there. Everybody knew the judge was there. And the judge was looking right at him. And the guy worded it like that. And then he got disqualified. <laughs> it sounds like he was trying to avoid getting disqualified by saying that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he... But see, that might actually be a weird case because he might have actually thought that the way he phrased it gave him some protection. Yeah, I, I think he did. I think he, he was know, like, this will yeah. trick the robot judge. Right, right. It's not the same thing where the judge turns away and they try to do it in private a little bit, you know, when the judge turned away with the rock, paper, scissors. You know, this was a guy who thought he was trying to follow the rule by phrasing it correctly the way the pros do it or something like that and found out that um no that's that's just not not good so you see what i mean there's they're not all cut and dry there's there's different levels of intent knowledge by the player uh preparation and so that's what we're here for we're trying to determine what was going through their mind at the moment they did whatever they did and 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 we have rubrics by which we apply specific penalties to those uh, states of mind and those sets of behaviors i've just got this mental image now of like a tony soprano-esque character it's like hey i'm just saying i take care of my friends you know that's all sometimes they say that sometimes they just say well you know i i i, I didn't want to go home empty-handed um i had one guy uh claim guilt he he said he was guilty um, but he felt compelled to do it because he was getting a ride from his friend and his friend was the one who wanted him to scoop. Oh. Uh, so, you know, that one's tricky. I don't know what to tell you about that one. That's, he could have a point. I'm, I'm not saying we, we're not going to disqualify him, but you know, if his friend puts pressure on him and he's getting a ride home, sometimes, sometimes there's more to the disqualifications than just, you know, player did this and, and this is what he's going to get. There's a lot. There's there's a lot like that. Okay. Yeah. Let let me ask. So some some silly bribery, some silly uh, 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 roll, rock paper scissors. Is there is there just a an outlandish DQ like one that's like told in stories? You know, when <laughs> when the new guy comes into the IC, you're like, oh, this DQ from 2009. You won't believe what happened here. I got one for you. I was telling Guillaume about it earlier today. Um, he, I'll let him tell his own story if he has one afterward. But uh, in 2006, uh, at GP Richmond, I instituted, as far as I know, the first mid-round deck check system. That's when we started doing them. I was a level two at the time. And uh, I asked Sheldon, who was the head judge, if, if, it, I, if, I, if I made sure I did all my deck checks, if I could send out pairs to check the decks after game one when they present and he says, uh, sure, as long as you've thought it all out and you have a system and it doesn't, you know, interrupt the primary deck checks. So after we finished the beginning of round deck checks, I had 10 people on my team. I broke them up into five groups of two and I sent the first pair out and I just told them, hey, uh, just look around any tables you want. If you see someone shuffling up, wait till they present, scoop it up. 
I had already instructed them on how to how to sort the cards and do it for a mid-round, which is a little different. Anyway, they end up going to table five, and this is the first time that mid-rounds were done. So there was a guy at table six, and he looks over to the judges who were scooping at table five, and he goes, hey, what's this? And they say, oh, you know, we're going to check some decks after game one just in case people add cards. So the guy at table six says, oh, cool, that sounds like a great idea. And then he continues his match. So that pair comes back, and they're checking the decks for table five, and everything's great. And in the meantime, I sent out another pair, but I didn't tell them where to go. I just said, look for any people who are shuffling. Well, they just happened to go to table six, you know, completely randomly, and they scooped up the decks after game one at table six. They found a problem where a player had added four cards. So I told them, well, go get the player. Let's have a talk with them. So they bring over the player. And after the player sits down, right as I'm about to talk to him, the pair from table five, the judges who had the decks from table five, they were finished and ready to leave. And one of them tapping on the shoulder and said, hey, Eric, that's the guy who asked me if we're now doing these checks in the middle. And so apparently the guy asked the judges and then proceeded to add four cards <laughs> in the middle of the match. That was the very first DQ, as far as I know, for a mid-round deck check. That's gutsy. Which happened on the second mid-round deck check. Which happened what? Which happened before the first mid-round deck check ever was done. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, right. I mean, <laughs> he, was, he was the second mid-round check table, as far as I know. I guess he was thinking, what are the odds of them coming back and getting my table yeah. since... Exactly. Maybe he thought we send them to specific tables, but I we didn't really have specific tables. You know, we just said, hey, go find some people shuffling. And he was shuffling <laughs> and he added four cards. And his statement was, I did. That was his entire statement. Was There was some static. It was, I didn't what? His, his written statement was, quote, I did it, unquote. Oh, I did it. That's easy. Yep. That's easy. what he wrote. That's a slam dunk right there. Yep. And uh, and when he handed it to Sheldon, Sheldon read it and looked at him and said, well, uh, and the guy shrugged his shoulders and said, I did it. What more can I say? And Sheldon basically said, you're right. What more can you say? <laughs> it was a great it was a great line. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, that was the beginning of that. I don't know if Guillaume has, a, uh, has something. Yeah. A DQ happened during uh, GP Moscow. Uh, I was not there, but it's a very famous one. Basically, um they disqualify a guy who uh, play another deck than the one on his deck list. So they disqualify this guy. And when they come back at the table, the guy was not there anymore. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so they start the next round. And the next round, a guy show up and say, oh, I am not at the pairing. Uh, is it any issue? The scorekeeper say, yes, you have been disqualified the previous round. Say, what? Uh, I went to the hospital. My my wife just had a car accident, so uh, I just checked that uh, she she was all right, and I came back at the tournament. I, I was not there at the previous round. Right. <laughs> oh my god! So basically, someone show up at his table, play a game with a different deck, and when he get in trouble, he just left the venue. <laughs> so someone is disqualified somewhere in Russia, but he doesn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> so wow. I think it's one of the best uh, DQ uh, wow. here. So you have an imposter playing at, that, yeah, at the table, and, and he uses a fraud deck, and then he bails. But if we find it, we will have a, an interesting investigation <laughs> there. I love it. So let me let me ask this. So we, you guys have been telling us uh, stories of, of investigations that are that are closed. Um, 
we often tell uh, judges not to talk about the ongoing investigations. Um, what are some of the reasons that we, we tell judges that and what damage can can happen as a result of that? Well, the main damage is just general integrity. If the judges start talking about it, uh, then if I ever need to ask any questions, uh, it may be that I ask someone who has now heard about it, uh, a witness maybe, or another floor judge, which I do contact, or even the head judge, um, if the head judge gets opinions from the floor judge outside of the event, you know, like reminiscing about it. And sometimes that can change the memories that are stored in people's brains about things that happen. And so we don't like to risk any tainted information by having people talk about it. Uh, that's one thing. Uh, that's mostly for the player's safety. They're entitled to the fairest hearing that we can give them, and that includes not having other witnesses uh, be tainted by the judges talking to them and explaining things. I mean, a witness should not ever have a judge discussing with them after the fact the, the DQ, because that witness may have to answer, you know, if I send him an email, that witness is going to have to answer some stuff. And what if they say things that are the opinion of the floor judge, uh, because that's what they heard, you know, and they represent it as their own opinion, then there's no way to tell. But the other thing is just privacy, too. I mean, until it's closed, uh, there it's just it tends to damage the community if people spread rumors. It's like a game of telephone. You know, he did this and then he did this and he did this. And after 17 people talk about it, you might find that the player may have done six things and he's only guilty of one or maybe not guilty. But but now there's all rumors and I think the players deserve to have their names uh, not smeared around. They're going to pay a price in the community anyway. Uh, but until the case is closed, they really shouldn't have to be like subject to people asking questions and giving them the eye. So it's a privacy concern also. But my main concern is tainting the memories of the people involved. Okay. Uh, one one more question on that. Uh, yeah. uh, if you could, if you could give some advice to, let's say, and this is completely hypothetical. However, I've seen, you know, so I'm not referring to any specific incident. Sure. Um, I, I want to be very clear on that. Um, a player is DQ'd. This player writes, uh, an article or goes on Reddit or something and just lays it all out there. This is, this is my side of the story. I'm making it public and, you know, the head judge who was there is like, you know, internally, that's not what happened at all. Um, what advice can you give the judge in that particular situation? Because human nature is, well, I want to refute, but he can't. Sure. I would say, I would say two things. Uh, first of all, if, if the player says something that's manifestly different than the statement that he gave to the head judge says that on the public media that's something that we'd want to know about because if the player if we think the player is telling the truth we may cut him a break sometimes and if now the player even after let's say the player admits guilt explains how something was done in private to the head judge and we end up giving let's say six months suspension instead of 12 because we you know let's just say we're cutting him a break for being honest, if the player now recants their story on public media, 
then it's clear that they I mean, we have to take their, you know, their statements at face value. So either they're lying on public media to look good um, or else they lied to us in, in admitting guilt because they wanted to get a lighter sentence. And so that's somewhat damaging. Uh, but in general, if they just say the same things that they said in the investigation, I would just tell the judge, I mean, you got to let this thing go. The players, you know, you did your job. The players have an image that they want to um, uh, protect in their own community. And as long as the story that they're telling is the same one that you based your decision on, uh, you just got to have a thick skin. I mean, so the player flames. I mean, what else is new? Like, go to go, be a referee in any sport. There's two sides. And um, I won't even say the right side and the wrong side. But there's two sides, the winning side and the losing side. And the losers complain and the winners don't. And they celebrate. And that's the way it is. And and they blame the judges, you know, baseball, the umpire. Now we got replay. We don't have that too much in magic, although we're, we're getting it a little bit. Um, soccer with the World Cup, you know, guy gives you a yellow card. Maybe he deserved it. Maybe not. But somebody's always pissed off. If he doesn't give the yellow card, the other team's pissed off. So you just got to get over with. Go, get over it. He's... You know, we only concern ourselves with what he told our head judge and whether that impacted our investigation. Uh, so if we think he lied in the investigation, we have to act on that. But if we think he's telling the truth and he flames out in public media and says the same things, then that's the way it goes. I mean, as long as he doesn't start cursing people out, that becomes damaging to the community. But if he wants to say the judge screwed it up or the judge is not competent, I mean, that's what he can say. It's not going to help him, but it may help him in his mind. But look at any athletes or any sports, they all complain. It's the way it goes. Right, right. One side will complain, one side will shake your hand. So I'm curious but, about something. Um, yeah. For suspensions that aren't related to an event, so generally aren't related to a disqualification, um, you know, the crack gate thing was a big famous one recently. Um, do those go through you guys as well, or does Wizards have kind of a, a backdoor they use? It, it can be either one, uh -huh. but uh, a lot of them go through either me just as a quick consultant, like Watsy wants to act quickly. Uh -huh. They say, uh, Andy Hecht will say like, hey, Eric, what's your fast opinion on this? Um, but if they have a few days, I'll put it in front of the committee okay. um, and put a rush job on it. I might only get five votes, um, but, you know, it won't be like an official kind of thing. It'll just be like a quick Watsy just wants to see what the what what the high level judges say about it. Right, um, right. So yeah, I mean, a lot of them do go through me, and some go through the committee. There, one or two of them don't, um, but most of them do. So. All right. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, so I, I I was I was heavily involved in the crackgate thing. Uh, but by that time, we had already had a rubric in place because something like that happened about a year and a half before. Yeah. So they, you know, I was consulted just to verify that this was materially the same as the one from a year and a half before. And the whole process was very short, maybe two days. Right. Right. Uh, so, Brian and Jess, you guys want to add anything else? I don't think uh, so. I think we've I don't have anything. Brian, Mike. No, I've I, I think I've probably exhausted or more than exhausted uh, uh eric's time <laughs> Gion's time with uh with with these questions all right well how about i leave you with one thing then uh -oh. sure so here's what i'd recommend to all you judges listen uh, listening out there remember when you do your investigations it's important to follow up on the evidence that would clear the player too 
sometimes you'll get a piece of evidence, especially when the player says, well, I, I got the sleeves from this vendor. You really have to pursue with the same zeal and enthusiasm. You should pursue the investigation that would clear the player as hard as you should in, uh, pursue the investigation that would convict him. That is a very, very important concept because it always comes down to me, in some cases, asking the judge, did you, he said, talk to this witness. Did you talk to the witness? If the judge says no, I'm, you know, it, it, it just throws doubts because I always say to myself, is your case so weak that you, you can't afford to go talk to this guy, right? You know, like, are you afraid that this guy's statement would unravel the case against the player? Is that why you didn't talk to him? Um, you got to be fair to everyone. And fairness requires that when you see an avenue to pursue that would clear the player, you should pursue it. It may not come to anything. I mean, the player may be guilty, but you should pursue it equally as you would pursue to convict him. I guess that's the biggest thing okay. uh, that I would say. I'd like to see that more where a judge says there's still a chance he could have been innocent at that time. And so in order to try to show that I did this. But unfortunately, I failed and because it was pretty clear that he was guilty. You know, I tried to help him out and I was unable to do it. That's what I'd like to see. So I guess that's it. All right. Great. So uh, if you'll hang out with us for just a few minutes, we're going to we're going to skip emails this show because we're, we're getting a little longer than we want to be. Um, so we just have a quick a couple quick a quick what a couple quick news items we want to touch real fast. Uh, first, off, okay. we have a couple new level threes. We have. Adam Liebman and Raymond Fong, also from Parts Unknown. I did not write down where they're from. Uh, Ray is from the UK. All right. And Adam is from South Africa. Nice. Perfect. We got an A team here. Uh, I also want to take a minute to talk about the Manipool Kickstarter. And you might ask, why would I talk about that? Uh, that's because our dear friend Chewy, uh, you may know him from the Manipool or Monday Night Magic or whatever else he does. Back when JudgeCast was on MTG Cast. Chewy basically handled... Oh, we're still on MTG Cast, I should mention, but when we were solely yeah. on MTG Cast, yeah. um, Chewy is the man who would handle posting all the episodes for us. He would handle um, just all that behind-the-scenes stuff. He was doing it all by himself, and it was it's a lot of work uh, to do that kind of stuff. So, and particularly, if we had an episode and we were like, hey, Chewy, we're giving this to you Thursday night at midnight, and we need it up immediately for the pre-release, you know, he, he would be the one that would make sure it gets it gets turned around. Um, so if you have any interest in the Manipool at all or supporting just all the hard work Chewie has done for JudgeCast, uh, you know, I would recommend that you you give just a little bit into the uh, the Manipool's Kickstarter. Of course, if you're already a fan of the Manipool, that's even better. But if you're a fan of the Manipool, I'm sure you've been told this about a million times already. Yes. Yes. So there will yes. be a link to his Kickstarter in the show notes if anyone wants to go and throw a few dollars Chewie's way. Uh, beyond that, if you want to email us, you can email us at judgecast at gmail.com. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash judgecast and follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash judgecast. Uh, Eric and Guillaume, I want to thank you guys so much for being on. I think this was a very interesting episode. Oh, I enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, Same. Do you have any like contact info or anything you want to plug? Just anything at all you want to put out there? And you, uh, you don't have to. Uh, well, I mean, as far as the program, I made that statement before. Guillaume, well, do you have anything? Yeah. Mm, not specifically. Okay, great. Not specifically. Okay. All right. Well, thank you again. I, and I, I guess, I guess what I would urge is, you know, if you want to send some of those emails my way, I mean, I'd be happy to try to answer them. I, I, I don't want, you know, I don't want people to think they, they can't get answers 
uh, to their emails. So sure, sure. If we get any emails for you, we will forward them along. Right. That's no great. Problem. All right. Well, I'd like to thank you guys again for being on. I'd like to thank the listeners for listening. My name's CJ Trader. I keep it fair. I'm Jess Dunks. I keep it fun. I'm Brian Prillman. Good old rock. Nothing beats rock. <laughs>